Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into The Kid Who Would Be King in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. First of all, uh, a little inside baseball uh, for my my podcast, and, and most of the time, I know what the episodes are going to be about a few days in advance, or I, I generally have an idea of what I'm going to talk about. I look at what's upcoming, uh, you know, the casts of the upcoming movies, what can I do a statistics episode on. Uh, once the new month changes over, I slot in the top 10 from the previous month episodes wherever I can, and... Uh, the next top 10 actor list and what have you and what what I think and I I listen to a lot of most of the podcasts I listen to are movie podcasts and I I like all of them for different reasons but I hear and and maybe this is just my inexperience ignorance uh, or whatever you want to call it I hear a lot of them talk about the length and, and, and amount of time it takes them to do editing and, and to produce their, their episodes. And, you know, uh, I, I heard another podcast recently say, you know, oh, my goodness, it took some number of hours, like, put this together and, and so on and so forth. And I, I'm sure, obviously, that's the truth. Like, it's not, I don't know, belaboring the, the, the issue, but... Nine times out of ten, uh, except for some of the longer episodes, my Circle of Film Award episodes, those require quite some editing, uh, intersplicing all the songs, and um, they're so long, so generally I can't really record them in one sitting. Or anytime I do an episode with a guest, I often have to, you know, crop that a little bit to make sure things are synced up perfectly. But on the whole... Uh, so this episode being released Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, it is currently, right this second, 1.11 Eastern, and depending, and, and when this episode is finished, I, I could have it uploaded five minutes later. I, I very, very seldomly edit any episode that's, you know, under an hour that I just do by myself. Uh, even episodes, you know, two hours, three, uh, I, I've just... I did it, and it's done, and it's over with. So, I don't know. I, you know, maybe that's just a, a discrepancy of of standards, necessarily, or I don't know. I think I think there's something to be said for listening to a podcast and and that doesn't. Uh, uh, like this literal right now example where I can't think of a word, but I'm not going to go back into this episode and like snip out the silences because there's no, I don't know, I feel like the amount of energy and effort it requires of me is not worth the added benefit to the listener if there's any benefit at all to doing something like that. And so, I don't know, it just, it's just something I, I heard, and I've heard a couple of times, you know, it's the end of the year, podcasts are like thanking people for the whole year and stuff like that, and part of that is, you know, this is a labor of love, and it takes us this much time, and, you know, we really appreciate the support and all that, and I don't know, it just, 
I think, and I've, I've heard this too, you know, you, anyone can do a podcast, but if you're really committed to it, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of commitment and focus, and that's definitely true. I, I'm not saying that it's something incredibly easy to do. And, and it's also, I'm sure, an aspect of the fact that I do it by myself, and all these other podcasts I listen to uh, are, are multiple multi-host podcasts, and so I'm sure that adds a separate wrinkle as far as, you know, different channels and different levels. But I don't know. I, I just found it to be, I don't know, I, I feel like there's an approach and a method that's a lot more straightforward than um, is sometimes uh, depicted, I guess. And that's just how I see it. Also, tangent on that for a second, actually. Every other podcast I listen to has multiple hosts. Every single one. And one thing I've recently noticed about how I feel when I'm listening to a podcast, my favorite podcast, the one that got me into podcasting, the one that I first in the queue every time it comes up, the Cine Realist podcast, I love it. One I love so much about that podcast is that two hosts, James and Zach, but they're both, as far as I'm concerned, equal co-hosts. I never feel like either of them is, you know, talking over the other person. I never feel like it's one person dictating the episode as the other person um, is kind of secondary. I feel like they're both on equal standing, and I, I really enjoy that dynamic. The other other podcasts I listen to, I think that there is sort of like, okay, three people do the show every day, but one of them is like a notch above everybody else. And when they're talking about, I don't know, let's say a top 10 list for each, that, that they each bring with them, there's one person who's like, oh yeah, let me comment on every single movie that comes up and we don't progress forward until I say so. And, you know, I get to have the last word in. And I, I just, that, that, that demeanor, that dynamic, that relationship between the hosts really rubs me the wrong way. And I've been noticing it more and more lately that some, some, some you know, a podcast that, you know, isn't supposed to be one person and others, it's a group of people, except it's not a group of people, it's a couple of people on somebody else's podcast is sometimes the the impression I get. And I don't know, I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of that aspect. And it's kind of made me think back like all the times I've had other people on my show. And it's a little different because, you know, the people on my show are guests, not, you know, co-hosts that are here for the long haul. But I, I try to... I, I try to not be, except when when it, it when like I think the situation calls for it. I try to not let one person dominate the conversation. And sometimes you know that's just going to happen when you're talking about something and whatever you're dealing with. But uh, I, I try to make it feel like this isn't with the exception of, of Cody Clark, uh, it's not really an interview. It's It should be a discussion, unless it's advertised as an interview. And, and I think there's merit to that. And maybe that 
and and to compare this to movies and what's going on in movies, I think of this the same way I think of having a host at the Oscars. The host is 100% superfluous. I do not believe for a second that having a host um, actually moves the show along and, and in, in any sense. Uh, I think the best argument for having a host is that it provides time for people behind the scenes to reorganize the set, to set up for the next thing. But I think that you definitely do not need a host to do that. And I think by having a host, you funnel everything about that show through that person or persons. And that always, I think without question, characterizes the, the program as a, as a whole. You know, if when, for example, like my favorite host I can think of recently would be Hugh Jackman. But the only thing I really remember about Hugh Jackman as a host at the Oscars was his opening number. And then you compare that with, say, um, uh, like James Franco and Anne Hathaway, which the only thing I remember about them is they both felt like they were sleepwalking slash high through the entire ceremony. And... I have such fond memories of the Hugh Jackman program versus the Hathaway Franco one. And if there was no host, I would not have that perception to filter the ceremony through. I think without a host, you can now filter it through, oh, it's, uh, you know, the King's Speech one, or it's, uh, you know, the artist one or whatever the movie won Best Picture, and you're more focused on the awards and the results of it than, you know, it was uh, Jimmy Kimmel for the second time, or it was Ellen DeGeneres giving out pizza. And I, I, I don't know. For me, that kind of mires the whole proceeding, personally. Okay. Uh, yeah. So about that, that's not at all what this episode is about. We're 10 minutes in, and we are just now getting to talk about The Kid Who Would Be King. This is a new kids family movie uh, coming out directed by Joe Cornish, who has previously directed Attack the Block, which is one of my favorite movies. And it's it's just, uh, it's, a sh it's, it's a shame it's taken him this long to put out a film. It's been eight years since Attack the Block, and Joe Cornish is a very competent, skillful director. Uh, he is from the UK. His movie, The Kid Who Would Be King, stars uh, a bunch of people brand new, don't recognize them. Uh, Louis Ashburn Circus, who's Andy Circus's son, Tom Taylor, uh, Angus Imry. Um... Denise Goff, and others who aren't even listed on here that I know are main characters, like Betters, uh, Dean Chaumu, and Rihanna Doris, and then you have uh, the actual names that might draw people, uh, Patrick Stewart, Rebecca Ferguson are, are the big ones, and then if you've ever seen Misfits, which is a great show, uh, Nathan Stewart Jarrett is on Misfits, and he plays a teacher in this. And I love Misfits, so it was great to see him here. So, interesting cast. Uh, the main characters, again, not people you really 
spending a lot of time with ever. But Rebecca Ferguson and Patrick Stewart are names, and they both felt like they were having a lot of fun in this movie. But this is a classic King Arthur movie, but it's a contemporary King Arthur movie. It follows the general story progression of, of the Arthurian legend, but it takes place now. Uh, it takes place present day. And I'll admit, you know, even before, even when I knew that Joe Cornish was attached to direct this, I did not have high hopes. Not, not at all. I was very uh, apprehensive. I, it felt like, I don't know, like a, like a kin or an axle or monster trucks. Yeah, I don't know, just some throwaway movie. No one's going to really enjoy this. It, it has these grand, this potential that it's never going to be able to meet. And that was kind of where my head was at. And then we got closer to the release. Uh, as I say, like I don't watch the trailer, trailers ever, but some reviews started to trickle in, some reactions, some some ratings, and uh, it wasn't bad. They were mixed to good reviews, honestly. And so I, I tempered my <laughs> lack of expectations, I guess you could say. And I went in a little more open-minded than I might have otherwise. I got to see this in an early screening before it came out this past weekend. And the crowd was, the audience was pretty full, not packed, but pretty full. And it was actually uh, not bad. It was pretty decent. It's uh, a very solid kids family movie. It isn't reinventing the wheel. It's it's not, uh, you know, it, it just, it makes a functional wheel, you know. We've had the wheel before, now we're getting another equally functional wheel with this movie. It, it you know, I don't think it's quite as good as Bumblebee, but it has that feeling to it. Bumblebee... After a long, long time with a lot of crappy Transformers movies, we got Bumblebee, and it was pretty good. And just uh, two years ago, we got a really crappy King Arthur movie, and we've had a couple of bad King Arthur movies, and now we got one that's actually not bad. It's it's decent. It's solid. Uh, it, it's, it's a film that... I don't know if I would say it excels... Uh, at any specific thing more than the the rest of the movies I've seen already from 2019 but it looks pretty strong it's got decent performances it's well written it even has social and political commentary on things like Brexit it I don't know it just it just kind of ticks off all these boxes one by one by one by one and you know, it's not getting an A+, but it's getting, like, solid C+, B-, B grades on everything across the board. And that's, in and of itself, you know, kind of refreshing to see. You know, it... it I, I said in my, my Letterboxd review, while the film lacks exception, 
it makes up for it with a lack of disappointment. And that was such a key part of this, is so often watching this movie, you, you know, we get early shots of, of um, Rebecca Ferguson as Morgana, you know, trapped under the ground uh, and with the, in, uh, with the implication, like, okay, she's going to break free, she's going to, you know, attack, try to take over the world, whatever it is. And so you, you have these ideas in the back of your head, like, okay, I've seen this before, I know where this is going, and then the movie kind of comp- just sweeps your legs out from underneath you uh, with the f- with when, when we finally see Morgana uh, engaged by our heroes. And what follows uh, was first jarring, and then as it progressed, like, oh... It's doing something a little different, and it's it's subverting my expectations. And I thought I was going to be disappointed by this sequence, but now I'm actually intrigued by it. And that's kind of the the way this movie operated. It isn't that showy, but the 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 emotions that it taps into are real they're they're genuine it mines real scenarios and real situations you 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 know uh 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 alex the played by andy circus's son lewis ashburn circus is just a kid you know i think he said he i think he says he's 12 he's just a kid who misses his dad and like doesn't understand what happened to him and that's part of his journey is coming to terms with the reality of that relationship that he has. And it's not played for melodrama. It it isn't something being taken advantage of. It's just very straightforward, progressively revealing all right this is a pretty damaged kid who's trying to heal himself and this hero's journey is only one avenue of his uh path to to not redemption but um betterment i guess for for lack of a better word uh, I think that I, I would I would liken it to something like the Princess Bride, which, looking back on the Princess Bride, it's not really a technical marvel, but Princess Bride is just such a fun, enjoyable movie with fun characters, great performances, iconic lines and images and it balances so many things so well and i would i would actually argue that the princess bride was not only its generation's princess bride but it's still this generation's princess bride i saw this i saw it you know well into my uh, well i didn't see it for the until i was in college and i still loved it and i think kids would absolutely enjoy the princess bride but short of you know showing them a 30 year old movie 
the kid who would be king is an apt, adequate surrogate for that experience uh, for kids now. It's, it's an absolutely safe and harmless film that does go a little further than a normal kids movie. It does include some dark themes that do require a conversation, that do pose a question that kids have to figure out and talk about. And, and it, it approaches this situation, uh, especially, you know, dealing with Brexit over in the UK, of there being this, this sort of chicken with its heads cut off in charge of the world and how we, we have lost sight of cohesion and cooperation and compassion. And this movie plays on all of those things, does it well, and uh, succeeds at being enjoyable and at being likable. Uh, I don't know. I, again, I, I didn't, you know, this isn't a film that's got a chance to make my top 10 at the end of the year. But, I mean, it's number three right now. You know, we're, we're not even out of January, but it's number three right now. And I gave it a 55. It's slightly, very slightly uh, above average, if average is 50. And I think that it's, it's worth seeing. If you have any hesitation, I don't think you should. I, I think kids will enjoy it. One of the things that... Uh, and and it would I would love if this really caught on. I would love to see uh, allusions to this ever at like the next year's award shows. Like I don't know, just something, something to reference this. But Angus Imrie, who plays the young, the physically young Merlin, visually young Merlin, uh, whenever he's doing magic, almost uh, he does some sort of snapping your fingers, clapping your hands sequence of, of motions. If you've seen the trailer, I'm pretty sure it's in the trailer. And it's a pretty silly gesture, but it, it becomes incredibly uh, poignant. And it, it increases with weight and value as the film progresses. You know, the first time you see it, it's like, oh, that's funny. Like, what is he doing? But then by the end of the movie, when it's happening, it's like, yeah, we got to get this happening. We got this, you know, th there's pressure, there's stakes, there, there's uh, tension. And all of a sudden you're like, yes, yes, do the magic thing. And when I was seeing, watching this movie, there was a group of kids to my left who anytime, in, from the second half, the entire second half of the movie, anytime somebody did snapping, clapping your hands gesture, they mimicked it. Or tried to. I couldn't tell if they were doing it right. But yeah, it, it was a lot of, it was great to see that sort of echoed throughout the theater. And I, I would love to see that like resonate throughout this year in any sense, in any capacity. I think that would be fantastic. But 
We'll see. We'll see. So, um, the kid who would be king, Joe Cornish, Louis Ashburn Circus, Patrick Stewart, Rebecca Ferguson. It's, uh, yeah, um, normally I would tell you, uh, where this falls on some of the 2019 Circle Film Awards slots, uh, but we are way too early for that. I will probably not release, once I do 2018's episode, I will put up the early 2019 slot, uh, on, on the website, and, uh, go from there, because, it, like kid like glass and kid who would be king would each have like 15 to 16 nominations it's it's ridiculous it's not not real so that being said uh it's kind of it again i think it's a decent movie i think kids will enjoy it and there is something there for adults as well so uh it's not it's it's I don't know, it does, it does its thing, and it does its thing adequately and well. Uh, so, The Kid Who Would Be King, uh, that is uh, my review for it. A little short, but... Uh, the, the, which, uh, before, yeah, let me... The movie is pretty long. Uh, the movie is longer than it needs to be. It's about two hours. And I think there was an easy 10, 15 minutes you could cut out uh, that is kind of repetitive. And I think that would make it a tighter, better film. But maybe maybe once I, I did feel like, man, what's this is going to take some time, yada, yada, yada. So I, I really wish they had, had trimmed it a little more. But I, I don't think it's super egregious. Uh, it just, um, cause let's see, I, IMDb and Letterboxd both listed as 120 minutes. Uh, if you don't count credits, it's like 116 minutes. Um, so, you know, uh, 10 minutes I think would be great to cut off of it, but, uh, it's not, it's not going to kill you. So, yeah, so that is The Kid Who Would Be King. Uh, thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to uh, see, listen to more episodes, you can head over to circlefilm.com or iTunes and other places where podcasts can be found. Uh, also, rate and review on iTunes if you would like to. You can get a hold of me for any reason. Uh, I would love to interact with people. Uh, you can do that on Twitter at Circle of Film through email, circleoffilm at gmail.com, uh, or follow me on Letterboxd. Um, username circle of film if you would like to support the show uh, there is patreon.com slash circle of film where you can uh, become a patron for as little as eight cents an episode thank you one last time Uh, it does does me a lot and uh, as always have a week so long Even as she fades from view So long, farewell, I'll be to say adieu Nothing's really left or lost without a trace Nothing's gone forever, only out of place So long, farewell, oh what I'll be to say Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute
so long.